everyone. Welcome back to another Azure Insider podcast. It's great to have you join us and we are looking forward to an exciting topic today. We have a very special guest or a few special guests rather. Um, for joining us for the first time is our very own Peggy Caesar from our office in Newcastle. We also have an international visitor today, all the way from Honduras, uh, Edwin Flores. And our returning guest is Frank Spangler. So uh, we'll get started with introductions. Peggy, do you mind uh, introducing yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do. Yes, I'm happy to be here, Michael. Thank you so very much. My name is Peggy Caesar, as Michael said. And uh, I work at Adra Canada. I am the uh, communications specialist. Started in uh, that new role in January 2021. Really excited to be working directly with uh, Adra project teams and uh, with uh, folks working both in Canada and internationally, uh, just as our brother Edwin. I also work to develop stories uh, that are shared with uh, our Adra supporters and partners as well as build awareness for the wonderful and often life-changing work that they're doing. I also do a fair bit of writing, uh, both on the strategic as well as uh, journalistic or narrative style. And so I'm really uh, happy to be here and excited about the new role. And we're happy to have you. This is your first podcast with Adrian Insider, if I'm not mistaken. So this is exciting. And also joining us for the first time, as I mentioned, is uh, Edwin Flores from Honduras. Do you mind introducing yourself? Hi, yeah, Michael, thank you very much for the chance and the opportunity to have this uh, conversation. Yeah, my name is Edwin Flores. I'm an emergency coordinator for Aaron Duras. And, um, you know, I'm here just to waiting for the question. It's a pleasure. All right. And now, Frank, our, our, returning, uh, our returning former host, now occasional guest and long-time producer of this podcast. So, Frank, do you mind uh, reintroducing yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm uh, the multimedia specialist at ADRA Canada, and uh, for the last year or so, I've been producing the ADRA Insider, so I've usually been behind the scenes. But today, because we're doing uh, it through a Zoom session, and I want to make sure that everybody's audio is coming through carefully and I'm uh, going to be recording the screen using a different method. I want to make sure that everything is working properly. So I thought I'd join in today. And uh, I met Edwin uh, many years ago. I had a trip to uh, Honduras. And so it's good to, to join in and uh, get reconnected with Edwin today, too. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and I feel like... I should also just uh, point out to the viewers that yes, we are all in different locations today. So there might be some lag. There may also be some background noises that aren't common in our podcast. For example, I'm home with my children today because schools are closed due to COVID virus. Um, it's also garbage day. So you might hear garbage trucks driving by. Um, and I'm sure everyone else in this call might also have some sounds that pop up every now and then. Don't mind those. We're still going to have a great conversation and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing all about our projects in Honduras. Uh, but first, I, I'm curious, Edwin, how long have you been, you, uh, Frank says that he's met you before, how long have you been working for ADRA? I was, uh, my first time in ADRA was in February 12, 2001. So that's mean I'm 20 years old. It's <laughs> like a, half of my life has been in Adra, mostly. Very good. All right. And um, 
what have you been in the same role the whole time or there been different roles that you've been playing since i got in adra i was hired as a supervisor construction for uh, construction houses you know for people who was affected by uh, hurricane mitch so i was the supervisor since 2009 i've been uh, you know the emergency coordinator for Honduras. all right that was the time i think i came down to visit you when you were working on those houses after Hurricane yeah. Mitch. Is that right? Do I remember that right? Yeah, I think it was in 2004. 2004, you came to, okay. You came to Honduras, but by that time, uh, you met an Edwin with hair, so. More hair, see, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, and uh, if I remember correctly, that was an ADRA Canada-sponsored project as well, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you were building temporary housing or a whole new community. A whole new community. Yeah, there were uh, four uh, four hundred and thirty two four hundred thirty two houses. Yeah. Wow, and it's still mm-hmm. the people are still living there today. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because we build the community, we we put inside, we put a a Adventist church, we put a library, we put a school, we put health mm-hmm. center. We we made all that in order to. To the people have everything around, right? We not just build the houses. We want to build a community, so where people can feel part of that. Because there is one thing: these houses were uh, like a donation uh, from uh, Adra Canada, uh, USA. But we wanted to the people to understand that sometimes when you get things for free, you don't care about it. But when you start working since the foundation, so you put more love in the stuff. So we decided that the people have to work in their own houses. So that's mean people start uh, build the houses since the foundation, you know. They have to come over to the community and work for uh, three or four hours a day in order, you know, to participate in the construction on my own house. So that's me. When I saw the house finished, uh, I put love, I put heart, I put work. So after about 20 years, huh. mostly the same people are still living in there. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it gave them a, 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 an idea and a, a sense of long-term ownership. Yeah. That's great. So Edwin, you say there's a church, an Adventist church in that community now? Were the, were the people yeah. Adventists before they moved to that community? No, as, as long as remember, there were only three Adventist families in the community. Right now, as long as I know, we have about 55, 55 Adventist families. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember the day I was filming there, I had a little accident and had to yeah. go to the clinic to get patched up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you still have a little clinic there as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we yeah. still have the clinic running. The school is running, the church is running, wow. the park is running, the library is running, so everything is running. That's very inspiring to me, the, the uh, long-term impact of an ADRA project. You know, yeah. oftentimes all I see is the way it is during the project. I don't know what's happened afterwards. And so it's just thrilling to hear that uh, you have a flourishing community there with many new Adventists attending uh, church and uh, Adventist school. That's just delightful to hear that. What sort of projects is Adra Honduras currently working on? Uh, we have been working uh, for the last year, emergency project, especially. 
Mm -hmm. As you know, ERA and Yora hit a very hard country, but also uh, COVID-19 has a, a deep impact. But there is another situation that we have in the country that we call a uh, dry corridor. We have been facing for the last five years uh, several droughts. We have farmers, they haven't able to collect any uh, harvest for the last five years. Mm -hmm. So we have been focused in this area. There's about 68,000 families who has been facing a lot of difficult conditions to get food. So right now we are working directly with almost 11,000 families in the dry corridor. Uh, right now we are working in association with uh, WFP, which is one of the, uh, the biggest uh, associates. We are attending about 22,000 families. And we also have microfinances project. Those families can receive a small credit, you know, in order that if you, if you want to start like a small business, like a shop or grocery and stuff like that. So we give them a credit so they can have a, like a, the main capital to start the business. Mm. So that's another 3,400 families. So we are working around probably with 35,000 families right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're doing a lot of good work. A lot of good work, but there is a lot of need. And so the, I think you, you call it the, the dry corridor. Yeah. Um, is, that, uh, is that the project? I, I believe it was just before COVID. We had a connections group from Canada. Yeah, that's right. That's okay. right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, 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 that's the play. What, so, one yeah. of the, the, this community was the play that we, the, the, we did the Adra Canada connection trip. Okay. So we had a, a group for the, for the listeners. We had a group from Kingsway College in Oshawa. A group of students traveled down to Honduras and helped build chicken coops and uh, in, in that community, as well as a few other projects. My sister was actually one of the, the faculty that traveled with the Kingsway College groups. Oh, really? Yes. Wow, that's nice. From all of the students that I talked to from Kingsway, as well as the faculty, they all really enjoyed that trip. And it sounds like Honduras is a beautiful country. I haven't been personally yet, so someday. <laughs> Recently, um, as you said, in the last year, you have been working on the response to the, the twin hurricanes as well as COVID. Um, are, are hurricanes common in Honduras? What, what are your most common emergencies? Like what sort of emergency projects have you had to work on in the past? The dry corridor emergency has been here for the last five, six years. And it had been uh, very uh, difficult because when I mentioned only 68,000 families, it was only the part that we have presence, right? But that emergency affects over 1 million persons in Honduras. But every year we have droves and we also have floating in different parts of the country. But the last year it was very complicated because uh, with COVID, we were not prepared. I mean, we are a small country, but you know, our health system is very, very complicated. So we were not prepared for that. With COVID-19, we started to work, you know, in attending families because uh, a lot of people lost their jobs and they had to stay home. So we start to collect funding in order to grow to the families, food ration, hygiene kids. But when we were working with that, we were hit by these two hurricanes. So we start working, responding ERA and YORA as much as we can. But I've been in the field for the last five months. I just saw my family probably Saturday and Sunday, mm. every 15 days. Uh, because we have been, you know, attending uh, so many uh, communities with food ration, hygiene kits, uh, water and sanitation, 
But in our country, the response from the international community has been very poor. By the time the hurricane hit our country, the election in the United States from the new president took more attention in the media. So Honduras, it wasn't in the news. So the response from the international community has been very small. So Edwin, um, we realized that Honduras was hit with two hurricanes within weeks of each other. I'm just, I would love to know, and I'm sure our listeners also, uh, where were you uh, when uh, Eda and Iota hit and um, what's happening now? When Eda hit our country, I was in the South Park, like I say, in the Dry River, attending the emergency. We have a project, a one-year project with uh, USA, USAID funding. So we, we decided to stop our, our operation, do security from the, our, our employees. So I come over to Tegucigalpa, but because I am the emergency coordinator, uh, after two days, ERA hit our country, I travel by car to La Ceiba, which is one of the places it was affected, to um, make a need assessment, right? Then I back to Tegucigalpa, and we have a meeting in the office. Uh, we start to plan a response, and we uh, decided uh, the first intervention will be hygiene kits. We brought the, all the suppliers. We started making the hygiene kits, and we put in a pickup truck. Then we head to the north part of Honduras with uh, 3,000 hygiene kits. The last day that we were delivering, Yora come over. Mm-hmm. So we were in the field working with the families, attending the family when Yora come over. So we had to regroup our forces and go back to La Ceiba. And, uh, you know, redesign our intervention because the places that we supposed to come over with uh, new AD, uh, they were flooded again. So it was, it was difficult because, I mean, it is hard when you see people lost in their houses, losing everything, and uh, you cannot do anything. People were running. When I said running, it was running from, uh, in order to, to get away from the floating. Uh, because we have a lot of uh, water over, uh, you know, the field, two or three hours uh, uh, raining, it, it flowed in the communities once again. So we have to redesign our intervention in order to, you know, uh, protect our, our employees, but also to do more uh, effective intervention. Those two weeks was very complicated. Uh, because they were blocking road, there were no bridges in some places, but also we faced protests from people asking for food. And it was hard because, I mean, if you get a, a truck with food, try to take over uh, what I have because they don't have food, they don't have tents, they don't have nothing, they don't have water. We were in a place that people was uh, running up or drinking water for almost a week. So it was, it was, it was hard. I mean, we still have communities that we cannot get by road. Actually, yesterday I was in a small boat. We took about 50 sacks of food, which is a sack who uh, weighs uh, 120 pounds to a community. They, they don't have anything yet because they cannot uh, go by land because they don't have road. So the only way that we can get food is by sea. And this is five months later. Yeah, yeah, that's five, five, five more later. We still have places that don't have drinking water yet. 
We need to remember, though, that Iota was a Category 5 hurricane, and Eta before that was about a 4. And the problem with the hurricane is, is sometimes you have strong winds, right? But the problem is the, the water, if they come over. So people lose their houses, you said, because of the flooding? Yeah. Actually, on Thursday, I'm go- we're going to be in a, in a shelter that you can see people living in, in containers. And container is, is not a, a good place to live because in, during the day, it's really hot because it's a container. And during the night, it's like a cold, and so people have to leave it with uh, the open doors. It's just a container. It's not a house. What do people do for their sanitation needs when they're living in a container? Some of them with our NGOs to, you know, provide uh, temporary latrines or, you know, temporary bedrooms, right? But according to, to the humanitarian standard, uh, we supposed to do more. But we, we do what we can with uh, the funding that we have. And uh, there are some places that we, can, we have 100 person in a shelter and we have only one uh, toilet, for example. So people are displaced from their farms and they're living in shelters or at a school or in a container. Is it not possible for them to get back to their farm and start working on rebuilding their lives? Or wh- why are they not able to go back? First thing that we have to help them to rebuild the houses because there is no houses. Houses, uh, water systems, and uh, stuff like yeah. that. So how far away are they from their farms? Are they able to, during the day, go back to their farms and at least plant and, and work their fields? There are families who have to walk four or five hours if they want to come over to the community they used to live. But the problem is that those areas, uh, some of them, they disappear mm. because the river took the place. So we are not going to rebuild in a place that we, we will face the same problem this year. So it's, it's not easy because sometimes you want to rebuild something, but the families are used to, to have a small farm around, you know, to collect uh, their own, you know, harvest. But when you don't have places to take them, it's, it's more complicated. So in the places where they are now sheltering, is there any chance for any work for the people? Can they get a job during the day, working as a day laborer? How are uh, they surviving? Some of them have to, you know, take the bus and come over to the big city. And some of them start to, you know, selling fruits. Uh, one of them uh, was uh, buying some boxes of face masks and come over to the street and start to sell in the face masks. But the thing is that uh, they can earn maybe um, what about $5 a day, mm. for example. But you have to pay $2.50 to to go back and forward. Right. You left your house for that, for $2.50. And uh, it's, it's kind of difficult. Oh, yeah. When you come over and talk to the families, you... You cannot understand how people is dealing with that. I mean, people doesn't have face masks because they don't have money. A lot of people lost their uh, jobs, you know, so it's it's complicated. It's really, and, really hard. And so you mentioned people don't have face masks. Has has COVID become a big problem there as well on top of these these two hurricanes? Yeah, 
because you were having about in one shelter you will have in about 2000 person it's not a humanitarian mm. rule i mean you you can have uh in a gene there was a time that you have a 500 person in a gene uh, people who was living next one to another i mean sleeping next to one to another uh, with no restriction and uh, that's the the reason that we have one of the biggest contagion places in the country because of people doesn't follow the rules how are people coping it just seems like so difficult to live so many families in a schoolhouse for example yeah uh, and like i said the government is requesting to uh, close down those shelters because they said they need the school back but where are we going to send these people even as you and i have spoken you talk about the difference that you make in the life of one person and maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, some of the, the positive things that you're seeing happen one family, one person at a time. Uh, sometimes I see my crew, when I say my crew, are my colleagues, you know, people who are working with me in the field. Uh, sometimes I saw them tired. But when we went to, into communities and, uh, and give them something, you can see the smile from the people. And it's, it's like a fuel for you. You know, I, I don't care to be in the field for 15, 16, or 20 hours. Uh, as long as we can get the help for them. Um, one of the things that I have a blessing is that my wife understands my my job. Otherwise, I think that we have a problem because I, I haven't been in the house for the last five months. But my wife understood what I do. And she knows that I, I do this because I, I love to work with the people. So... Um, you understand and then we will continue until we can we will continue and we will do our best i know that there is a lot of people probably watching this and uh, want to support this kind of activities i just want to say that i mean uh, if you trust in us you will see the result someone said if i can change one life my life will be uh, have a sense you mentioned that we had ha that Adra Honduras had handed out sanitary kits. What other uh, items? Um, how have we been responding in general in the to the hurricanes? So we try to decide which is the best way we can help the communities in order to make what we call them resilience. You know, which is the we create communities capacities so they can respond in emergency by themselves. Teach them how to get more harvest, for example how to protect the community against the floating or against the draw. So that's, that's what we call them, uh, resilience. And we try to focus on that because we cannot be in the communities for years, you know, just to give and give and give assistance. We have to teach them how to fish, not just giving the fish. Peggy, perhaps you can answer this because I know you've been working uh, with Edwin. Um, how, how long has Adder Canada been there in response to the hurricanes? I've, and uh, what sort of response have we been undertaking there on behalf of Adri Canada? As Edwin uh, mentioned, you know, the initial uh, response to Hurricane Edda uh, came through uh, Adra International and we came in, Adra Canada, as, um, as part of the, the network response right after. 
Um, ordinarily, what happens is that the initial response will be just uh, just an immediate kind of triage, and then a needs assessment will take place on the ground, and then that information will come back through Adra International to the network, and then network partners will contribute to a, a, a larger response, and Adra Canada came in uh, with that. Okay. So it sounds like, despite all the work we've been doing, there's still a lot of work left to be doing in Honduras. Um, so our prayers and our, our thoughts are with you guys down there. Um, and I hope you get to see your family a little bit more. I believe uh, Edwin is the right man for the right job. And uh, let's continue to pray that uh, God will send many resources uh, that could be applied to the work there in Honduras. I hope to come and visit again someday. Yeah, you're more than welcome. That goes double for me. <laughs> Might as well say triple for me. Yeah, no problem. You can make a trip. We will take you. We will give you a tour around the country, and you can see uh, the thing we are doing. I hope that you can come over and see what we are doing, and how we are changing life to the to those families. Amen. Amen. Yeah. We're gonna Until that day. We're going to certainly keep uh, you and uh, your family in Honduras in prayer. Particularly, uh, Frank and Michael, as we recognize that uh, facing another rainy season with more flooding. And as Edwin yeah. has emphasized over and over, they're not ready. And I've read this too. And so, Edwin, you continue to be in our prayers. And I'm so blessed to, uh, to know you and to have the opportunity to work with you in Adra, Honduras. Just want to say what a blessing it is. And we will do our best, continue to highlight uh, this, uh, this story and this situation. Amen. All right. So um, thank you so much for joining us, Edwin. It was a pleasure having you on today's podcast. Um, I also want to thank our other guests, Peggy and Frank. It was uh, great having you on for the first time, Peggy. I'm sure we'll get you on a few more times in the future. And uh, Frank, of course, always a regular, so I, uh, I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Great to be Thank here. Thank you again uh, to, for joining us today. If you are interested in learning any more about the, our projects in Honduras or any of our projects, visit our website at adra.ca, A-D-R-A dot C-A. Um, you can also listen to previous podcasts at A-D-R-A dot C-A slash podcast. And uh, you can find our previous podcasts on any of your favorite stream, uh, podcast streaming platforms or on Roku um, and the Amazon Fire TV. Is that right? Fire TV? As well as, yeah, as well as YouTube and Vimeo. We're everywhere. <laughs> okay, we are, we are everywhere. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you next time. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. All right.